1: Need to get on Floyd's conditioning plan, ASAP. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd, and as always, you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble. We are back with another season preview podcast. Today, we're headed to the Eastern Conference for a team that's uh, that's a pretty exciting young team and looking to push their way up the standings. And we are talking, of course, about the Milwaukee Bucks. And to talk everything about the Milwaukee Bucks, I am joined by the host of the Locked On Bucks one of the hosts of the Locked on Bucks podcast, and that is Eric Name. Eric, how are you? I am fantastic, Josh. Thanks for having me. Last year, we had uh, we had Frank on, we've got you on this year, just uh, just going alt- alternate years to get uh, the two uh, the two hosts on, <laughs> just getting some differing opinions uh, across seasons, but I'm sure that we're going to have fun talking about this Milwaukee Bucks team. Now, when we talk about all these teams in the season previews, Eric, the way I start things off is by looking at the acquisitions that this team made and how they're going to have a big impact uh, on the squad moving forward. And I look at the list that I've uh, written here for the Bucks editions and... Um, before about four hours ago we had Jalen Moore on a two-way contract we had Bronson Koenig on a two-way contract but now we've had a James Young signed to a training camp deal and that is literally the extent of the free agents and trades that have uh, been made by this Milwaukee Bucks team heading into this season so there's very little to talk about in that area is there
0: yeah, I would say there's not a heck of a lot there. I don't even know if James Young will end up making the opening day roster. Uh, he, Like you mentioned, it's a training camp deal, so he might not even be there. Uh, the only other thing would be... Maybe Jason Terry comes back. Yeah. Um, not that that would have much of a fantasy impact because uh, I can't imagine anyone would be that deep looking for shooting guards. But uh, that would be the only possible thing uh, as far as free agency goes. Maybe Jason Terry comes back.
1: Yeah, because they've got that one open roster spot after waving Spencer Hawes. And yeah, the, the word is that that Terry is look or they're looking at Terry for that spot at the age of uh, the ripe old age of sixty-seven. He should be uh, <laughs> he should be ready to come back and uh, and contribute his five minutes a game and and maybe hit a three a game. But yeah, you're right, that's not doing anything for fantasy. They've also I lost Michael Beasley, who's uh, signed with the New York Knicks, who provided a little bit of something for this team. But they did draft a power forward, and have also still got Misic Toledivich there in that backup role. Let's uh, let's move on to the draft straight away because it's no acquisitions we need to talk about. DJ Wilson was the first round pick for this team. I admit I wasn't I wasn't in love with the selection. What did you think? of the DJ Wilson pick at the time has that opinion changed since you've seen him in summer league and how do you see him fitting into the rotation? Do you think he is immediately in the rotation or is he going to be sort of sitting behind Toledovic as a, as a guy that plays not every night, but but's there most nights.
0: Uh, I think it's tough to kind of figure out exactly what the role is for DJ Wilson, because last year, and I know listening to your podcast There's times when Jason Kidd just kind of decides he's going to go 11 deep, and from night to night, you don't really know uh, who the bench guy's going to be, and last year he kind of got into a spot where it was Beasley some nights, and it was Toledovich other nights, and uh, you didn't really know what to expect, and I honestly wouldn't be shocked if it's kind of the same way for DJ Wilson and Mirza Toledovich this year. Maybe to start the season, DJ Wilson isn't grabbing quite as many of those every other opportunities or however jason uh likes to work the rotation uh but dj wilson a little bit surprising i thought just because of the area they were in in the draft it seemed like a big was kind of the pick and i was kind of dreading that as well because they have too many bigs as it is uh but DJ Wilson, I think they're going to hope that he plays some 3-4 um, and hopefully he develops into a guy that can stretch the floor and then still have those things they like defensively with the long arms and and all that. But I can't imagine we're, at the end of the year we're going to be talking about a DJ Wilson Rookie of the Year campaign like we were talking about a Malcolm Brogdon Rookie of the Year campaign.
1: Yeah, I can't see that happening. Now, Wilson's a guy that he does struggle – um, with his rebounding, that's going to be a concern for him. But he is a player, you, you mentioned the length, and that's what the Bucks have always been targeting recently anyway, that uh, he, he has the ability to become at some point in his career, I believe, a triple one player. So a guy who hits a three a game, gets a steal a game, and blocks a shot a game. I think that's not an unrealistic expectation for him at some point in his career. And we know how valuable those can be in fantasy. There was only five of those players in the entire NBA last season. So if Wilson is able to develop, I think that he does have that defensive versatility, even if the rebounding uh, might be a little bit of a struggle for him.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the rebounding because on draft night, uh, they had their little press conference with John Horace and Jason Kidd right after the pick. And that was a question I asked and said, you know, maybe one of the... The critiques of his game is as a big guy, he doesn't rebound quite as much as, as maybe you'd like. And Jason again, Jason isn't really a great quote, uh, but that night he he was a good one because he responded immediately and was like, Well, I guess he'll fit in then, because no one on the team rebounds. And I was like, whoa, 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 what what world am I in that Jason Kidd is is telling jokes on the mic right now. But uh yeah, it, it's gonna be it'll be fun to see if he can improve that rebounding at all or if maybe that's kind of his life like if he is going to be one of those guys that stretches the floor maybe he doesn't get that rebound but as you said maybe he is a guy that can hit the three at a steal especially if they play that aggressive style of defense that they do in milwaukee for the next few years going forward and that's the defense he grows up in Um, if they do it yeah stealing a block per game i don't think would be crazy
1: going forward and what you said, that, that aggressive defense is huge because they, they do have guys who get lots of steals. Under yeah, the Kumpa, Middleton, Brogdon, all these guys who you get their hands you know, on, on a lot of balls. Giggity! Um, they're able to get those steals and and, and do that. So he, he could fit in there. But the problem is, of course, if Jabari Parker comes back and is the same guy, then he's got a massive roadblock in front of him in terms of the position. So I can talk about him becoming a triple one sort of player, but it would require Parker either never returning to anywhere near his best or being traded or or some sort of position opening up. So... It's not like there's a clear path to minutes in the future. He's playing behind an aging big man that he's going to take that role in three years. There is still that doubt with Parker, but we we do have to realize that at this point, he looks, he looks like he's going to be stuck behind Jabari for you know, the, the bulk of the early part of his career. So that's going to limit his value a guy I did like that they drafted, I thought it was a really good selection, was Sterling Brown in the second round. He has, um, really nice fantasy translations. It's probably going to be hard for him to see much of the court this season, but he is a guy that I do like for his long-term fantasy projections. Um, again, though, with guys like Adelacumpo and Middleton there playing the wing, like his role is destined for, for a backup, but, plenty of stuff can change in the NBA and trades can be made and injuries can happen. So Brown's a guy that if you're talking about deeper dynasty formats, I like him as a guy that maybe you pick at pick 30, pick 31, well ahead of where he was actually drafted in the league. So he's not going to be any sort of regular part of the rotation unless kid goes goes even further and plays in a 13-man rotation every night. <laughs>
0: Um, it's funny, as much as that DJ Wilson draft pick was panned and criticized, I think the Sterling Brown pick was praised because I, I, it's tough to find anyone that had any bad feelings about Sterling Brown. That was that was a guy I think just about any draft Nick really liked, any of the analytical numbers really enjoyed as well. And I have to say, I I was confident that he could be a 3 and D guy, but... And again, Summer League basketball is my least favorite version of NBA basketball. But with that being said, he did show a little bit more playmaking than uh, I thought maybe he had. And I guess it makes sense with the way that they play basketball at SMU where it's just five, six, seven guys just trying to move the ball around and make plays that maybe I shouldn't have been surprised that his playmaking was as good as it was. So um, I think that's a guy going forward that is certainly going to factor into the rotation, and I'd be lying if I said – Part of me doesn't wonder if he factors into the rotation this year. Obviously, Middleton and Snell are going to take all the starter minutes. But if you look at wing minutes for this team, maybe there's a spot there. If they move Jets' minutes down even more and maybe those nights where Jet ends up playing the final 18 minutes of the game go away, maybe Sterling Brown steals some of those minutes. So it's going to be fun to watch because, like you said, that's a pick that I think a lot of people liked.
1: His ability to rebound, get assists and get steals is what's really going to yeah, buoy his fantasy value. He can hit some threes as well and if we're honest about it, Rashad Vaughn's not much competition to get into that rotational role <laughs> at this point, so there's there and as, as well as Tony Snell played last year, I'm not a massive long-term believer in Tony Snell. I don't think that he is some fantastically great player and, and Brown at, at some point we're probably talking a way down the track could move into like a sixth or seventh man role with, with some teams. So I, I'm really interested in seeing that, how that pick pans out, but we're going to be you're seeing limited minutes um, from him now we've talked about a lot of guys who are sort of on the periphery of things so let's get into the bulk of the bulk of this team Eric and the number one question I want to ask you is Jabari Parker and his knee the the um, prevailing wisdom that I have seen is that we're not expecting Jabari back until February with a full 12-month recovery after tearing that ACL for the second time which is why the extra precaution because the first one he came back relatively quickly from he was uh, ramping things up really fast he was back in action from I think he did it in January and he was re- he was almost a full participant in training camp and debuted about three weeks into the season. But they're going to be more cautious this time, aren't they?
0: Yeah, it seems like that's kind of uh, been the prevailing notion that anytime you talk to Jabari, anytime you talk to John Horace, Jason Kidd, whoever it is, when you ask that question they haven't really moved off of the all-star break. And obviously Suki Hobson is someone that everyone in Bucks fandom loves because she's obviously done so much work with Jabari and she's really helped Giannis kind of move to that next level uh, as an athlete. So there's a lot of faith in the Bucks and their sports science staff. But uh, at at the same time, I can't imagine you're going to try to do anything overly aggressive with Jabari Parker because it just doesn't make sense at this point because what, you get him back for 35 games instead of 25 games at the end of the year. Um, it, and especially with, there's so much looming with Jabari because he, he this would essentially have been a contract year because next year he will have a chance to be a, a restricted free agent that the Bucks can match any of those offers with, but he would be a guy that, you know, maybe that's some team is interested at throwing a max contract in the end. So it's just kind of a fascinating group of events because there's so much to yet to be decided as far as Jabari's future Milwaukee. Obviously, they want him to be a part of it. But at the same time, how much does he want to make? How quickly does he want to get back to prove to other teams that he should make a But There's just a, a number of different things that could pull that in a lot of different directions, but you'd have to think that the organization is going to do everything in their power to to tell Jabari, hey, uh, let's let's just calm down. Let's make sure everything is right. And let's get you back when you're comfortable. Let's not push anything uh, forward too quickly. And it's been the same thing with Jabari. Jabari always says that when he comes back from an injury, he always wants to be better than he was the first time. And I know that's exactly what any player is going to say uh when they come back from an injury but if you think about the last time he came back uh, arguably he might have been more explosive and again i don't it know was, if he can get I, I don't yeah and I, I don't know if he can get more explosive if maybe this time they're working on trimming down some of his body fat to make it more make it make more sense that he's explosive whatever it may be i just think everyone involved has has a lot of interest in the best look for Jabari going forward. So um, it, it's going to be a tough spot because if you are in a playoff race, which uh, I think almost everyone is expecting the Bucks to be, and you're looking for home court advantage, if you're looking to get maybe a little bit higher seed, I think the idea of possibly being able to bring, I don't know if you're going to expect him to score 20 a game like he did this past year, but if you're expecting him to add another 10 to 15 off the bench, like that could really help push you over the top and help you make a strong push for the playoffs. So it's going to be fun and interesting to watch because it could go a number of different directions, but ultimately you have to think that they're going to keep it safe.
1: He's getting drafted at, at a crazy high spot, like 69 on Yahoo and 75 on ESPN. There is just absolutely no way. Wow. I, I know that you can stash him in your IR spot, but that's ridiculous because you're going to get 25 games out of him, maybe, maybe 20 games, and you're not going to get 34 minutes a game out of him like we saw no. last season. He's going to be eased back into it. There is absolutely no rationale for picking him at that spot. Sure, with your last pick, pick him and put him in your IR spot, but I can guarantee you will have an injured player between the 17th of October and February when he comes back, and then you're going to end up dropping him anyway. So what's the point? He was looking at a top a top 50 finish last year, end of the season as a 51st-ranked player. Really on the on the upswing, but we just don't know how a second ACL injury is going to impact him. So his value for dynasty leagues is also up in the air. Uh, I'd I'd bank on him being able to get back to a similar level to last year. Maybe he doesn't take a step forward from that, but I think he could be that guy. And if you're a team that's not necessarily competing in dynasty leagues this year, acquiring Jabari Parker sitting the year out, having him there and getting him a little bit cheaper might be a worthwhile thing. But of course, we don't know how he's going to recover from a second ACL. The first one was great, but when you do it twice, there's more cautious, uh, more caution with him, um, more caution with the, the medical staff. There'll be you know, maybe a little bit of you know, psychological issues with him, just feeling that, oh, it's already happened twice. Like, what's going to happen? And that might impact him there as well. So there is that risk, but I think you can get him at a significant enough discount that it does, uh, that it does make sense. Now, you touched on the rookie of the year already, and that was Malcolm Brogdon. Um, it took Jason Kidd a long time, in my opinion, to realize that Brogdon was the best option to be running. The point, I thought that Brogdon should have been starting over Tony Snell at the beginning of the year. It, that was when Middleton went down. I went, Brogdon's the guy. Um, but it took until it felt like February, March for him to go, oh, you know what, yeah, yeah, Brogdon is our best option here and he should be playing 30 a night. Are we feeling confident that Kidd's going to, and we should never feel confident with anything the kid does, really. <laughs> um, but are we feeling confident that Kidd's going to say at the start of the year, Brogdon's our starting point guard, he's getting 30 minutes a night, and I'm not going to be chopping and changing this every second night.
0: Well, I mean, it's tough. With, with Jason Kidd, you, you never truly know, but yes. it, it would be difficult for me to imagine a world where Delhi is stealing a, a ton of minutes from him. Now, could Delhi steal minutes from whoever you're bringing off on the bench at, on the wing? Yeah, I, I think that that's very likely because uh, this is an organization that really likes Delhi and really likes everything that uh, he does for them. He, even if his percentages aren't the best and he's not creating uh, quite like he used to in Cleveland and maybe he struggled a little bit this past year uh, and Delhi will say as much after the season. He, he said that. But at the same time, it with the way Brogdon performed and with everything that he can do for them, as far as his length goes defensively, um, as far as his creation goes offensively, as far as his shooting goes offensively, there's just so much that he brings to the table that again, I don't Brogdon isn't one of the, 20, maybe 15 to 20 best point guards in the league. Um, and again, maybe from a fantasy perspective, it's different. But from a pure talent standpoint, he's, he's not in that group. But he does so many things well and he fits in with this team so nicely that it, it would be a stretch for me to to think of a world where Delhi steals starts from him and m- maybe even a bigger stretch for him to start stealing some of those minutes from him. Like they're going to get Malcolm Brogdon minutes because it's a guy that they believe in and uh, he, he just fits in really nicely with everything that they
1: do he's a guy that um is getting significantly underdrafted in ESPN at 113 and 89 on ESPN on Yahoo is is still pretty low i think that he's got a real chance to crack the top 60 probably top 75 is a more realistic expectation but you're going to get assists. His rebounds, okay. He hits threes. His percentages are absolutely fantastic. He gets steals, and this is what I was talking about in the in the show that you may have listened to earlier when I uh, spoke with Kyle McCune we We're talking about getting point guards in the mid to late rounds, and, and Brogdon's another one of those guys. Yeah, Brogdon, Lynn, Russell, um, Schroeder, uh, Ball, Fultz, all these guys in these mid to late rounds that you can get and feel relatively confident of the level of production that you're going to get out of them. So. I love Brogdon as one of these late round point guards that you can take, especially if you've gone with big men early and he's going to sit in there and he's going to give you you 12, three and five and one and a half steals and maybe one and a half threes and really help your percentages and be just a rock solid contributor who's fairly comfortably, like his ADP on ESPN is 113 and last year he was the 100th ranked player and he didn't start until about the last two months of the season. So that is just no common sense for him to be for ESPN to think, oh, you know what, now that he's entrenched at the starter, he'll actually be worse than he was last year in only 26 minutes a game. It, it makes no sense. So He is one of those guys that is an absolute steal, uh, along with guys like Jamal Murray, yeah, Gary Harris, and Aaron Gordon at that la- last part of the draft. The big name, though, on this team, Eric, is uh, Giannis Adetokounmpo, both uh, in man of letters and in uh, the way that he plays. <laughs> Um, he took a huge step forward last year. He was the sixth ranked player. People are considering him as the number one player in fantasy this year. I don't quite have him at number one, but if you took him at number one, I would definitely have no criticisms of that. What does it, the big thing he needs to do with improve, to improve I think is the three point shooting and probably the free throw shooting. Do you think that either of those can improve? Do you think that one of them may improve or is it just always going to be this 29 to 30% free throw shooter and a 73% free throw guy?
0: i I mean last year he shoots seventy seven percent from the line and that was with the highest volume he shot at the free throw line so uh, we talk about it on lockdown bucks all the time. Frank and I are very skeptical of his three point shot and we like to call his three point shots snowflakes because no two are the same uh so there's always I think there's gonna be that skepticism from the three point line until he he proves anyone wrong uh, but his free throw. I, I mean, there was—he looked pretty good for most of the season. There, there was some times uh, in the playoffs where he had some tired legs and uh, missed some of those in there. But man, it, I, I guess the thing that with Giannis that always impresses me is that in his first four seasons, across all five statistical categories, every year he's improved in all five. Yep. So every single year he's had more points, more blocks, more steals, more assists, more rebounds every single year and and at this point i I get to a spot where you wonder where is his peak when does when does his prime start and when are we going to stop seeing this improvement from year to year and I don't know. I don't think it's this year. I think he's going to improve this year. Uh, you look at his usage rate; that's been increasing every single year. And it, it wasn't insane last year, like a twenty-eight percent usage rate. Like it can still climb higher. And and I think when you look at Giannis and uh, this defense, like they're going to ask him to carry a very heavy load, both offensively and defensively. So there was for a while this season, he was flirting with two blocks and two assists per game. I think through 60 games, he had it. Uh, And then in the final 22 or so uh, that dropped down to 1.9 blocks and 1.7 steals somewhere in there. Um, So he had two blocks and two steals a game for a while. And, uh, the sky's the limit for this kid. Like he just keeps performing and, and keeps getting better every year. And uh, always the, the three point shot is going to be something that holds him back. But as we talk about Unlocked on Bucks, is we thought that would hold him back from being a star. And he was undoubtedly a star last year. He was one of the 10 best players in the league this year. Maybe he's one of the five best players in the league. If he continues to improve like that. So, um, man, it, I understand with fantasy, obviously those percentages can really hurt you. Um, he's not going to give you that efficiency uh, from the three-point line like a Durant would. Uh, but, man, everything else is just so good. And and also, when you look at him from the free throw line, 7.5, 7.7 free throws a game last year. I think there's a good chance that number goes up. There there was a, a month stretch, I think, in December where he was getting to the line almost 10 times a game. And when you look at some of the elite scores in the league, that's, that's where those free throws numbers are. And I think there's a good chance he gets around
1: those numbers this year. Yeah, I've, I've got him increasing his free throw attempts uh, this season. I've got him increasing his usage this season because... Yeah, you're you're basically from last year. You're subbing out Jabari Parker and you're putting in Chris Middleton. Um, and Parker was more a more high usage player, so I think Giannis takes on uh, some of that usage. I, I like I've got him projected at 25 points a game this year. I do think, that, look, if the three point shot goes to 35, it's it's over. He is the number one player in fantasy. <laughs> yes, um, right, if he's hitting yeah you know, 1.2, 1.3 triples, he he is the number one player. And if he gets his free throws to 80, then there's no one really getting anywhere near him. Um, because like as dumb as this sounds, he could average. Twenty five nine and six two steals two blocks one point five threes on on fifty three and eighty. There's no one coming anywhere near that, but that is just number yeah. one by a considerable amount. So if you want to take him at one, at two, at three, anywhere there, it, it's it's totally fine. And he he he's, he has got room to grow. It, it's it's crazy. And it, if that last piece locks in, like it is, it is over for not maybe not the league, but it's it's over for fantasy. Like he is, he is the number one guy if those other things are, if those other things click in. Now, we've, we've referenced Chris Middleton a little bit. Um, he was sensational before that hamstring tear. He was a guy that was a top 20 type fantasy player. When they moved Giannis to point guard at the end of the 15-16 season, Middleton actually upped his assist rate in that time. He was averaging like four and a half assists himself. Um, with the presence of Tony Snell... As much as I don't rate Snell that much, do you think that that has any impact on Middleton, or we're just going to see that 2015 16 Chris Middleton, who was probably one of the top three most underrated players in the entire NBA that season?
0: I think there's a good chance that guy comes back, Um,
1: especially with Jabari
0: out. Maybe if maybe if it was Giannis, Jabari, Middleton, and Snell for the entire year, maybe that doesn't come back but uh, I remember that before they did point Giannis they essentially did point Middleton yeah where maybe he wasn't bringing the ball to the floor but he was initiating and there was a good stretch there where I think it was I think he had six assists I'm trying to think back to two years ago but I think it was six assists or more in nine or ten games straight and he was just tearing it up and and I think that's the big thing people forget about Middleton is that he is such a good playmaker and, and that's something I've written about over the years is that, that that's something that you just think, okay, well, he's a three and D guy, and maybe he's a little bit more overqualified than that and score some points. But by the in the second half of that season, after the all-star break um, in 15-16, it was, I think, almost 19 points a game, almost five assists per game, almost four rebounds, over two steals per game. And then he was doing 90% from the free throw line, 45% from the field, and I think 40-plus from three. Uh, like, his everything about him just screams efficiency and filling up all of those boxes. Uh, so yeah, as far as fantasy players, I, I don't know that quite as well, but as far as players in the league, yeah. By the end of that 15, 16 season, he was, he was one of the more underrated players in the league. And uh, this is a guy that the Bucks have total faith in. They have total trust in. Uh, you could tell last season that he was a half step slow uh, throughout the playoffs. He wasn't getting by guys like he used to. Uh, he he was, coming up short on some jumpers you could just, you could tell his legs weren't there. And then plus he got the flu in those final two games against the Raptors. So that end of the season, uh, Middleton maybe wasn't the most indicative of what he can be. Um, obviously the hope in Milwaukee is that he comes back to that 15, 16 form. And uh, from, from, I I guess I struggle to imagine him not doing it Uh, just with as well as they've done with so many injuries here in Milwaukee, the the way we saw Jabari bounce back, um, the way we've seen Giannis maybe increase his speed and his agility by a half step, the way we've seen Brogdon do that a little bit as well. uh, I just don't see a world where Middleton isn't returning to that form.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I think that he... Look, he played 36 minutes a night in the 15-16 season, so maybe he doesn't quite get to that, and that was before Giannis also started dominating the ball in terms of usage, so maybe he doesn't get the scoring, but he is a strong, strong third-round pick who who has significant top 20 upside. He's yeah, he, there is a, a realistic timeline, I think, where you could say that he averages 20 points a game. And I don't think that's a crazy, like, you probably won't, but it's not crazy to think that he could, you know, him and Yanis are averaging 20 plus a night. That could happen. Plus, he gets assists. Plus, he gets huge steal numbers. He's His three point shooting has been crazy throughout his career. His last four years 41, 41, 40, and 43 from three. Like, he, he just yeah. not, he just doesn't miss threes like this is just not a fluky up and down like a uh, Goran Dragic who goes from 31 to 40 to 32 like this is just he's hitting 40% of threes that's just that's just what he does and he passes I was gonna, he does say he...
0: two. Yeah, and, and the big thing in Milwaukee is uh, a running joke on Lockdown Bucks is that both Frank and I have written thousand, thousands and thousands of words about why Chris Middleton should shoot more threes um and if he ever gets into a spot and this might be that time when you don't have Jabari Parker if you start to run more plays for him to get threes, if you start to run more plays for him uh, to get some good looks from three. And we haven't seen Chris play with peak Giannis really yet. Like yeah. or we haven't seen peak Chris and peak Giannis play together at the same time. Uh, so if he returns to that form and all of a sudden now he has the Greek freak running all over the place to trash all his attention, like there's a good chance that maybe even those three-point – Attempts go up and, and that To me has always been the thing that unlocks A 20 point season for Chris Middleton Is if all of a sudden those three point Attempts and that three point rate goes up A little bit and he stops settling for Maybe some of those mid range jumpers and that's something That all Bucks fans are just driven crazy By is how much he likes those Those post up looks those fadeaway looks uh, Those long twos and If he starts to turn those into three Point attempts man eh, the,
1: the, A 20 point season does not seem crazy To me at all what um what is crazy is the way that Jason Kidd handled his centers last season um <laughs> three three man center rotations and then Kidd coming out and saying well we can't run three man center rotations it's not going to work and then him continuing to do that despite saying that he can't do it um we have no Spencer Hawes now he's gone we have no uh, Miles Plumley; he went in last season but we still do have three potential guys here we've got Thon McCurr. we've got Greg Munro and we've got John Henson Please tell me, Eric, that we're only going to have two of these guys and one of those guys is not going to be John Henson.
0: Well, as I preface all of my responses, to you, <laughs> there there's no predicting Jason Kidd. But with that being said, um, I think we got into a spot where, as the playoffs went on, Thon started to take on a bigger role. Yep. Um, as the season went on, Thon started to take on a bigger role. And uh, really, with the way Greg played off the bench last year, I mean, the way Frank and I talk about it, it seems crazy to throw a third center into that mix. But last year, it seemed crazy to throw a third center in the mix. The year before, it's like every time we think we understand the center position, we don't. Um, but with the way those two kind of play off each other and are essentially exact opposites. Where, where Thon is the guy that's stretching the floor. He's the guy that can go up and pressure and trap ball screens on defense, and he can run all over the floor on that side of the ball. And then, conversely, Greg is the guy that can go into the post and try to get you some baskets on the block. And defensively, he's going to stick a little bit further behind uh, in that aggressive defense. And they just give such unique looks and so different looks that, to me, it it would be crazy to not just use those two because you're going to be – Giving teams two very different looks that are very difficult to prepare for, um, and John Henson is is not a guy that I, I get. I think Frank or I have ever particularly enjoyed in Milwaukee. Um, it's to the point where Henson played for last year. Let's see, it would have been four coaches in four years, and every coach decided that at some point he didn't deserve to get minutes. Yep. So, and people always ask me, Oh man, I, I think maybe one of the more underrated guys in Milwaukee is John Henson. Uh, they got, they have some untapped potential there. And every time I tell him like four coaches have benched him at this point, like it, it wasn't one coach that had it out for him. It, it wasn't, maybe he didn't get along with this guy. Four coaches have decided you're not good enough and you shouldn't play. So at that point, The only thing I can think, despite his high block percentage and despite maybe some of the things you think he can do defensively, maybe he's not an NBA player. And I think we're to that point. Um, And I know obviously throughout this summer we've heard that not only do the Bucks want to trade him, I know Chris Haynes reported during the summer that John Henson wanted to be traded. So I think we've kind of reached that point where Henson knows that he's probably not going to have a big role going forward, and, and maybe the Bucks have accepted that as well. All that being said, sixth game of the season, I've, 20, I have mean, 24 minutes for John Henson. It, it, it could happen. It, it absolutely could happen, because every time you think you have Jason get figured out, he, he throws... Uh, a, another twist or turn at you. So um, I would imagine it's Maker and Monroe. I think anyone that's watched the Bucks in the last year would say it's Maker and Monroe. Um, but there, there's literally no way to predict it. But man, it, Monroe was great off the bench in that role last year and, and Maker has a whole bunch of potential. So um, hopefully, hopefully, I, I don't, get sent the clip from you from other people uh, that were listening <laughs> to, uh, to Locked On Fantasy and telling me, oh, did you hear Josh? And I was like, oh, yes, I did. I did. hear. I heard Josh and I'm as frustrated.
1: <laughs> um John, uh, John Henson, I think I'll be more um, direct about. He's not good. He's People look. oh, he's good for defense. He's a worse defender than Greg Munro. He blocks shots, but his block percentage dropped significantly last season. He's a guy that chases blocks. He's not a good defender. He Everything, every metric told, tells us that he was not a good defender last season. He hasn't really ever been a good defender. Munro, I thought, was severely... Uh, underrated for what he did last year, you'll know about how good he was. Like he was okay. He, I thought he was really good defensively for what he'd been in his career. He, he absolutely. He um. He, he doesn't protect the rim, but yeah, McCur can do that. And Munro gets steals. He was his scoring was fantastic, and I think he's even coming into this year a bit underrated in fantasy, where he's getting drafted outside the top 100. Like his upside not might not be high because Kidd is never going to play him 30 minutes. But whenever he played larger minutes last season, the Bucks seemed to be more successful. So he is a solid points, rebounds, steals. Uh, field goal percentage guy at the late end of your draft. As for um, as for Thon, before we go to Thon, I was going to yeah. say
0: if I could add on Monroe, I if you again, I'm not expecting everyone to watch a lot of Bucks basketball, and you might see those steal numbers and think they're a fluke. Those are real. No, he doesn't. Like, every year. he 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 he's figured out exactly kind of how to put that together, and with the all the aggression in the Bucks system, like he he figured out last year how to kind of understand that energy and understand that location and understand how he can get steals and how we can do it. He's, he always, he's always had great hands and obviously offensively that he did a great job showing that off, but now defensively, like he, he really gets this defense and he feels a lot more comfortable in it. So if you're at all, curious or thinking that okay greg Monroe, th- those steal numbers aren't unreal
1: i will tell you that those are real real numbers they're not uh they're not trevor booker numbers where he was averaging about three steals a game for the first two months of last season this is just what Monroe does he doesn't get blocks i'm yeah. aware of that but he gets steals and he always does this so when you hear people talking about you know, Monroe, they've got to trade him because he sucks at defense it's bullshit he doesn't suck at defense he's not fantastic at defense he's not rudy gobert he's not protecting the rim but he's actually okay at defense he's He's, and so it's, I guess a similar thing with uh, Nikola Jokic as well. He's terrible. No, he's not he's not terrible. John Henson is terrible at defense. Greg Monroe <laughs> is adequate. He is average, maybe above average at times, and his numbers are fine. But I do think that as we touched on this is that Thon is going to you know, play more similar to what we saw in the playoffs, more of a minute split between those guys. I don't think that Thon is necessarily going to be a fantasy asset this season, but he could. If he plays 27 a night, he hits a three, he gets 1. 1.6, 1. 1.7 blocks. It's a possibility. I just don't think we're quite there with him yet. So he'd be a guy that you might take with your last pick and then two weeks in you just go, oh, it's, it's not happening. He's not getting enough minutes. He's not being productive enough. But he was impressive enough in the playoffs that you have to think that he will come in as the starter and he will come in and probably split those minutes fairly evenly with Greggie uh, at that center position. Um, yeah,
0: I, I was going to say too, with that, I, I think a number of Bucks fans and uh, we're doing a mailbag tonight and I've seen some of the questions that people are sending in and they're asking, oh, can Thon play 28 minutes tonight? Is going to be a 30 minute guy? No, no. He, he's, he's not there yet. The body isn't there yet. And he. I just don't think, especially since he's playing the five and I wasn't sure coming into his career if he was going to play the five because he is so skinny. Especially at the five, I, I just don't think he can take that beating for that long. So uh, a minute split seems about right with uh, Henson, or with excuse me,
1: with Monroe and Maker. Maybe you're uh, foretelling that uh, it is going to be John Henson in there at some <laughs> point, and Greg Monroe is going to be a DMPCD. Tone Snell, he started for big chunks of last season. He had these. Weird games where he just wouldn't miss. Like he'd go out and hit, he'd be five of five on three, and he'd go. He'd have like a ten point first quarter, and then he wouldn't score for the rest of the game. He's very up and down. He did show improvement over where he was in Chicago, where he was terrible for the first three years of his career. But he stepped up. But I think people maybe are overrating what he did last season because he had those few like, oh my god, Tony Snell's got is on fire. Tony Snell's hit six threes and a half, and people are like, oh shit. But then he didn't do anything after that. So, what's your take on where Snell was last year? And is his role decreased this year with Middleton back for the full season?
0: I don't know that it does. I think the big thing with Tony is no one on a Jason Kidd Bucks roster, and we're going into Jason Kidd's fourth year in Milwaukee, um, no one on a Jason Kidd roster has had a greener light from three. And what I mean from that is he is totally encouraged to chuck up threes No matter what, no matter if he's guarded, if he's not guarded, they run handoff plays for him. They're doing everything to get him involved. And I think in the second half last year, post all star break uh, or no, excuse me, in the playoffs, he he shot like 50 percent from three. And it it was just it was crazy to see. Um, And a lot of people got really excited about it. But that's that's about it. Like He doesn't do much off the dribble. Um, yeah. he's, he's not really going to attack. He's not really going to create. Um, defensively, he's going to be assigned to the other team's best player pretty much every single night. Because Middleton and Giannis are so good off-ball, and uh, the steal numbers that they get, when they're getting almost two steals a game, it's a lot of time playing the passing lanes and being on the back side and just having quick hands and doing stuff like that. They're allowed to do that because... The Bucks just throw Tony Snell on whoever the best perimeter scorer for the other team is. So he just literally just gets the ball shot in his face over and over again. If it's Jamar DeRozan, um, if it's if it's Kyle Lowry, whoever it may be, they're going to put him on one of the better perimeter scores, and that's totally going to limit him as far as steals go, blocks go defensively, because he's playing the other team's best player at all times. Um, so he's not really going to get steals. Um, maybe you see his threes decrease a little bit, but like I said, I, for the Bucks, they've had such a problem creating gravity around Giannis that I can't imagine his light is all of a sudden yellow or he's asked to create or attack more. I think the, the instructions for Tony Snell are still going to be, if you're open or even if maybe you're slightly covered, shoot the ball. But at the same time, I don't know what that percentage is. Is it real? Because um, that's his best three-point shooting percentage of his career. Is it just because the Bucks showed – that they believed in him. And now he has that self-belief and he's going to be great going forward. Or is there some regression there? It, it's a really tough question that uh, certainly I don't know. And, and I when Frank and I talk about it, he doesn't know. So in, in Milwaukee, everyone's guess is kind of as good as really anybody else's is when it comes to Tony Snell.
1: He's a guy that is a nothing in fantasy, really. He's more of an 18 to 20 team league guy because, as you said, he doesn't get steals. He doesn't block shots. He doesn't get assists. He doesn't get rebounds. Um, he doesn't take a huge volume of shots. So any. And his field goal percentage isn't great, despite hitting 40% from three. Like He's not a 48% field goal guy. He doesn't get to the line ever, despite shooting a a good percentage. He is a nothing. He is a guy that you put in with the Duke Wayne Ellington or with Uncle P, Nick Young, as a guy that you can stream in and go, hey, you know what? I need five threes. Who is possibly around who can hit five threes in a game? Oh, Snell might be able to do that. And then you piss him off (laughs) after that, because it's just not going to give you anything in any of those other areas. So I don't care if he starts. I don't care if he's playing 30 minutes a night. Him to crack the top 200 would be a huge, huge achievement. I think that I think most people are aware of that in fantasy circles now. That he's giving you threes and he's not giving you much more than that. The guy that is going to be behind him, we talked about a little bit earlier, is Rashard Vaughn. I think it's fair to say, Eric, and maybe I'm being a little bit harsh here towards the Bucks fans. He's been one of the worst five players in the NBA probably over his first two years in the in in, uh, in his career. He has been poor. Now he did show a little bit more at summer league this year. I'll give him credit for that, but Where's Rashad Vaughn in his in his career? Is he just never going to cut it?
0: I guess the the thing anytime anytime on Twitter, on a podcast, whatever it may be, where Frank and I mention that Rashad Vaughn isn't any good, we disparage the way he plays, we are constantly told, Well, sure, but he's just twenty years old. <laughs> which is which is great. Uh, Being young does mean that you will get older. Uh, There's no doubt about that. Um, But that doesn't mean you'll get any better as a basketball player. Um, And Rashad has been given plenty of opportunities. Uh, Obviously, you and I have talked about this, but... Jason Kidd's rotation can go very deep some nights, and and that means you're going to get chances. And there was an early season game last year; I think he had a career high twenty two against the Nets in ooh, October or November last year. That's he a, had hit yes. four, six, and three, yes, maybe second game of the um, year. And everyone was like, oh, "Okay, are those Rashad Vaughn's minutes now? Like, is he actually going to be a basketball player?" And then, well, we never heard from him again. And I guess the thing with Rashad is. He was brought in to be a shooter. The idea was, okay, this guy can can help us from the three-point line. He's a shooter, and he has never been able to shoot. Defensively, I think he he can ultimately be fine and fit in as the D part of a 3 and D guy. But until he actually hits threes, he's not a 3 and D guy. So at some point in his career, he's going to have to hit threes. Otherwise, he's going to be out of the league. Um, so we'll see if he can do that. And I guess it's almost almost fitting that James Young was signed because that's just another guy where he's supposed to be a shooter – struggled with it at times couldn't really find his role and james young was drafted a few years earlier so i guess we'll we'll kind of see with rashad vaughn but at the same time he's got to hit he's got to hit threes at some point
1: and if he doesn't he's out of the league james young is probably the other player who was competing with rashad vaughn for worst player in the nba title for those last two seasons so it'll be interesting <laughs> yeah. to see, see those two have that battle in in uh in training camp to see who uh <laughs> comes uh comes out with the uh the coveted golden toilet um Mirza Toledovic, we talked about him a little bit earlier. He was in and out. It was like Beasley one night, Toledovic the other night. But with Beasley gone, we expect like Mirza to have a more consistent role. And like Tony Snell, you can stream him in for three-pointers, but he does nothing else. He doesn't do anything defensively. Uh, his percentages can suffer, and he seems to just be in a bit of no-man's land here. I think that's a pretty accurate representation of him.
0: Yeah, um, I think the big thing... Frank and I are, uh, shoot, we're, I guess, citizens of Toladovich Arch- Archipelago, we, we call it, it's a little bit bigger than an island, uh, so, and there's a few people there, so we're there because... there's no doubt whether or not Mirza has a good year shooting and he had a bad one last year, Mm -hmm. whether or not he has that, he has gravity um, and people cover him like he can shoot Um, even with as slow as he is. And as long as it takes for him to get around screens, people actually cover him and respect his shots. So uh, there's always the chance that I know in his career he's kind of gone every other as far as three-point shooting goes so I think most bucks fans have their fingers crossed that this is a year where he shoots close to 40 percent from three um, and does it with a bunch of volume and is a guy that helps stretch the floor for Giannis. And, and I think that's the big thing is that he'll always be he'll always be attractive certainly to to us on lockdown bucks where we talk about just getting guys on the floor that can shoot and be around Giannis. Um, Maybe he can do that this year, and I I think he's going to get the chance to do that this year. So if he can start the season hot, there's a good chance that he has a role with the team going forward. But like you said, he only shoots threes. There's nothing else there.
1: Who's your breakout player on this team?
0: Oh, man, that's tough. Um, If I could can I call Middleton a breakout candidate? Cause technically he's going to go from 14 to 20 ish a game and yeah. some of that. Um, so I, again, and I guess I'm always a guy that just feels Middleton's totally underappreciated at pretty much all times. Um, so that would be my guy that if you're going to say that maybe a more extreme breakout is if, Thon has put on. I, I know he's put on some weight this summer. I don't know. If, uh, obviously, it's not enough because he, he started off so skinny. But if Thon can play 24 minutes a game, he can shoot threes at, at a rate that he was in the in the postseason, and he can become a bigger part of the offense because last year they didn't really run a lot for him, um, and, and there was there was games where they would run a lot of Giannis Thon pick and roll and pick and pop, and they Thon. Uh, talking with Thon, he'd always say, well, you know, uh, I'm trying to make the right read and figure out if I should roll or if I should pop. And in my mind, I I, 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 honestly, it wasn't even in my mind. I would keep asking him like, well, why don't you just pop every time? Like, that's what you're, that's what you're good at, that three point shot. So if they decide that, okay, we're just going to run pick and pops with Giannis and Thon, that's really tough to cover. And, And if you're doing that for a bunch of possessions for 24 minutes a night, man there's a chance that thon is able to fire off some threes if he shoots it at a high percentage like he did um maybe he can break out and add a couple blocks as well like maybe he would be a breakout candidate as well
1: um yeah I, I think i think thon's probably the guy middleton he's going to take a step up and maybe he becomes more of a star in the national eyes but i think if yeah, thon's a guy that could really take that step forward if i want to look at value fantasy guys i really like brogdon as i mentioned um you can get 20 30 40 spots of value there on him and uh the obvious bust guy is Jabari Parker at pick sixty nine or seventy five. There's no way you want anything to do with that. Yeah, I think Munro has a little bit of value. Middleton, you might be able to get half around there, and, and uh, even Yanni, if he falls to like pick six, that's superb value. I don't think that'll happen, but he uh, does have an ADP of five on Yahoo. So some situations like that will occur. Just uh, to wrap things up here, Eric, uh, the Vegas over under, they've got the bucks pretty high at forty seven and a half. Do you see them going over that or under that?
0: Oh man, this one is tough. We I think we spent an hour discussing this over/under uh, last week on Locked On Bucks. I ultimately decided on the over, um, just because when you look at the way Giannis has improved, it seems like there's another step there, another level there, uh, and I think you're going to see his ascension into the top five NBA players. So uh, whether or not the rest of the team is going to be great, I think that gives you a lot of hope for that over-under. And then also just the fact that once Middleton came back, they were a better team. And when you look at, there's a number of lineups with Middleton, Snell, Giannis, Thon. And whether it was Brogdon or Delhi, defensively, they played at a rate of a top 10 defense. And if that's going to be the case this year, and I think one of the big excuses last year was Jabari's a crap defender. Michael Beasley is a bad defender, uh, even in, in the t- the limited times you're playing Spencer Hawes. Spencer Hawes is a bad defender They They always had that out for why they could be maybe worse than average defensively. Um, I, that that is gone for for at least the f- first 50 games of the season until Jabari comes back. There's no excuse there. The, everyone on this roster is whether or not they're a defensive weapon they're adequate or better defensively so those excuses should disappear so this should be a team that can play above average defense and offensively everyone complains kind of about what Jason Kidd does he's not creative enough they don't shoot enough threes well they were top 15 offense last year and there's a good chance that they're even better this year with Giannis being even better so um I, I take the over I'm a Bucs fan, and every time I get excited about the team, they, I mean, obviously do the opposite. <laughs> so so maybe the under would be the safe money, but I, I'm feeling optimistic, uh, especially with Giannis. Uh, he, he's just incredible. So uh, I'll take the over.
1: I would take the under, but I can totally see it going over if Middleton, Middleton's back and uh, full if, if tilt and improves and Giannis takes another step forward and, and, and McCurr goes forward again. There's, there's a lot there. Um, but I, I will take the under, but hey. That's uh, that's why they have these overruns for people to go equal action on uh, on both sides. Eric, let us know what you've got coming up on uh, Locked On Bucks and uh, give us a plug and a promo for stuff.
0: Yeah, we're excited. We're gonna do a, a pickup game at some point. Uh, that's always a, a summer exercise that we do where we imagine going to a playground and picking the guys that of of the four top fourteen guys uh just going out and essentially going shirts and skins and figuring out uh who would have the better team that's always a fun exercise we got that coming up um we'll have our, our monster season preview where we do a whole bunch of stuff with that coming up uh and we got some mailbags coming up as well so uh we are we are rolling into that and it's it's going
1: to be a fun season Make sure you are checking out locked on bucks um and this is not me saying it because you're on the show yours is uh, one of the the team podcasts that I listen to the most I really enjoy your you and Frank and uh, the stuff that you talk about really interesting uh, topics and and shows it is a great show even if you even if you're not interested in, in buck stuff specifically like very entertaining so I do highly recommend the locked on bucks show with uh, with Eric and Frank Madden um Subscribe to that podcast, subscribe to this podcast, and give us both five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and on Spotify. It is a great way to help support both of our shows. Eric, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.
0: You
1: need me for anything else? Are
0: we good? DJ Wilson. Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17